This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, everyone. Very happy for another edition of Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe, my man. Today, well, he's been holding court on all things sports for well over 30 years. In fact, he and his uh, longtime partner, Mike Francesa, in many ways responsible for the growth of sports talk radio all over this entire country. He's my good buddy. I've been on his show many, many times over the years. And boy, this is a proud moment for me to welcome him to my show. It's Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Take it easy. Jeez, you played center court Wimbledon. You won a French Open doubles. <laughs> you got to a semis of the Australian Open. Not me. Oh, my God. How you doing? Everything? And you I'm, won a Davis Cup I'm doing, in Portland, Oregon. Let's not forget that either. How you doing, okay? I'm doing well, Chris. I feel good. And uh, we're all getting through this pandemic together. So hopefully this will end in the not-too-distant future. I know you've been working hard on your show keeping everybody entertained, keeping everybody up to date. But the purpose of having you on this show today is, is really pretty simple because even though you know everything there is to know about all things sports, the game that you play more than any other game, I know you've gotten into golf a little bit, but tennis has always been your game. I want to know why and how. Well, number one, uh, my mother played a lot when she was, uh, you know, when she was here as a, well, she played a lot in England as a kid, and then she played a lot in the, uh, Eastern Lawn Association events back probably in the early 70s. And because of that, I got into it. So I played tennis probably began uh, in the early 70s. I remember I took a million lessons. I must have missed your brother at the Paul Washington Tennis Academy by about six months. It's too bad I would have beaten him <laughs> because uh, I went to the Paul Washington Tennis Academy too over the summertime. But I never had that raw ability, that tremendous tennis magic uh, I liked all the sports. I probably liked the team sports a little better at that point in my life, the little league and the basketball. So, uh, so as a result, I kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't play it probably much in the wintertime. Uh, but uh, as I got a little older, uh, when I went to high school um, in uh, upstate New York, I played uh, a lot there as a freshman. It was a small little boarding school outside of uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And my head coach there at uh, the varsity level was a guy named Bob McCannum, who just passed away a couple of years ago. And Bob uh, was from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who uh, played it. I believe it may have been UCLA, but he used to play it uh, with Arthur Ashe all the time. Yeah, UCLA and was, he was where a Arthur tremendous, yeah. He was a tremendous player, and he had bad eyesight. So he had to rely just almost on the sound of shot making more than anything else. But he taught me the two-handed backhand in 1975, and he had a lot to do uh, with me really getting involved in high school tennis. Now, when I went to Rollins, I mean, obviously, you're not playing tennis down at Rollins. At that point, Wendy White was at uh, Rollins, who turned out to be uh, a professional on a tennis tour for a little while on a women's tour. Chuck DeSalvo was a very good player at Rollins. He played you know, on these satellite circuits. So I had no comp, I had no ability to play there. So I sort of got away from it for a while. Uh, and then, um, you know, when I started my broadcasting career in Jacksonville, I didn't play too much either. I got back into it probably in the early nineties where I really started to play a lot. It was a diversion. Didn't play a ton of golf. I played more tennis and that's when I really got more into it. Uh, married, 
mid nineties. And that was right around the, the uh, time. And the, and, yeah. And the, and the late eighties is when you started your show with Mike, right? So it was 89. Right, 89. Show. So right. right around that period. I remember right before I got engaged, I really got into it too. So that period of my life, I would drive down early in the morning down to the South street seaport at six o'clock from midtown Manhattan and play mm. a lot of tennis there. I remember one time that we played doubles, yep. you and your brother, against me and one of the uh, Tony, one of the uh, head pros there at the South Street Seaport. So I really got into it. Now, when I really started to learn about it and get a focus on match play and all that was when I got to New Canaan in the mid-90s because, as you know, Fairfield County is very good for tennis. Your brother, Mark, plays in these leagues up here in Fairfield County. And that's when I began to learn a lot more about doubles, play basically three or four times a week in the summertime, Joined, joined an indoor, you know, joined a couple clubs, got a winter league, played in the winter league. And so I would say really from the mid nineties on when I came up here, where I really started to play tennis on a 12 month a year, two or three day a week scenario, uh, for, you know, basically 25 years. Now I don't play as much in the wintertime as I used to, but still play plenty. As you know, I give you all the results. Yep. Uh, the Harry DeMotts of the world who you played with at Princeton. Or he no, played at Princeton. Yeah, well, I played, played with him in high school. At, yeah, in high school. He lived yep. on the same and, block as me growing up in Douglaston in Queens. And he was a good and He was a very, very good, good He went to Princeton. Yep. He was a very good player, and he's a great battle tennis player. So I play with him a lot because he's got a club that he plays down at Sandwich. So I basically, you know, uh, doubles is now more the game than singles, but I still love it. Uh, I, I don't play in the USTA leagues because that's in the wintertime, and it's also hardcore tennis indoors. Essentially, right now, it's unfortunate, but my tennis season, I would say, would be May through mid-October. Oh, don't that, play as much in the wintertime right. as I'd like, but I love the tennis. You know that better than anybody. Very very common, by the way, for most people that, that play the game in this part of the country. And by the way, when I was a kid and when John was a kid growing up, uh, in Queens, really Long Island, playing a lot of tournaments and playing in Port Washington, as you did. We we barely played in the wintertime. I played on the soccer team at school, at my school, uh, growing up at Buckley Country Day School out on the island. Then we went to uh, school, high school in the city. I played on the soccer team there. So did John. So, you know, the times have changed a lot, but we grew up in similar circumstances as you did. I used to go down to my local club, the Douglaston Club, by the way, hit against the wall, and Harry DeMott's house, uh, by the way, was right across the street. So when I was four, five, six, seven years old, I used to go down on my tricycle and hit against the wall. What was your, what are your first memories of when you played as a kid growing up on Long Island? Well, I just thought of something. Before I do that, I just thought of something that is interesting. I remember when we got married. Uh, no, four months after I was married in 95, we went to Europe for three weeks. And I, mean, I bought my tennis racket, and I can remember that I would look for a tennis court all over Europe, all of Florence, uh, Mon- uh, I played a lot at that, Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. I played a ton of tennis there. I was really totally into it at that point. Um, when a kid, first time I hit a ball, that's interesting. My parents used to take me all the time to Forest Hills. Mm-hmm. So I used to go there all the time in the late 60s, early 70s at Forest Hills. Um, the first time I hit, I remember I went out for my tennis team in seventh grade and I was good then, mm-hmm. but for whatever the reason I didn't make the team, which surprised me in seventh grade. So it was right around that. So you're talking fifth, sixth grade mm-hmm. where I was, must've been playing well enough 
to go out for the junior varsity tennis team at Syosset High School, uh, but did not make it. So you're talking probably in the late 60s where I played, you know, in the summertime. I used to go to Martha's Vineyard all the time uh, with, the, with the family, and I used to take tennis lessons up in the vineyard. So that would have been 68, 69, 70 so that would have made me about nine, ten years of age. And a lot That's of probably oh, yeah. when I got into it first. And a lot of courts up there in the vineyard, the green clay, the hard true, which we're used to the in this part truth. of the country. Now, how about when you were in Europe? Did you get to play on the red clay a lot? Because oh, you, I sure did. Yeah. I, I sure did. I went to, uh, I played down at those, uh, you know, those Monte Carlo courts are open. And that's yeah, and like that's twenty five courts, right? And that's the uh, where they play the tournament, right? The Monte Carlo. They Open. have the tournament, and yeah. you know you can play there. You just got you can get a court. You can play. Now it's hard. It was hard for me to find games. You know, I had to obviously speak the language, uh, and I can remember many a day I, I'd be there trying to communicate with the guy. This is in the mid ninety five, summer of ninety five, mm-hmm. and I can remember trying to communicate with the head pro there, trying to get me a game. But I do remember I found some. And I do remember I played at that Monte Carlo. I was there for three or four days. In Florence, I found games. Try to find as many games as I can. So I brought my tennis racket to Nice, Monte Carlo, and Florence, Avignon, in '95. Mm-hmm. That tells you yeah. if I took it on a summer vacation, just my wife and I, that tells you how much I enjoyed playing at that point. So really, when I really got back into it, was actually I was looking for an outlet was probably when I got engaged to be married in 94. That period really got in back into it. And then when I moved to New Canaan in 96, as you know, Fairfield County Leagues, right. that's when I started to play every day, as, as much as I possibly can. Something tells me that the one and only Christopher Mad Dog Russo would not have trouble in any language making his point. Okay. Yeah, about- I, got, I communicated, <laughs> give me a game in yep. some way. I communic- <laughs> uh, and I remember one time in Monte Carlo, I, I had a rented car, and I drove down to the Monte Carlo Tennis Club, found tennis, whatever I did, and it took me two hours to get back to the hotel up there on top of that cliff mm. in Monte Carlo. Uh, and I, that's how desperate I was to go play. I was really into it at that point. And I love the red clay and double faults as it still does today. Yep. Played, I remember <laughs> one time I played a match in Monte Carlo. I had 17 double faults in five sets. Uh, I counted them. That's happened. Counted. That's happened to some professional players too, Chris. So you got company. Well, now, what, 17's that, a lot though, PMAC. That is a lot. That's, a lot. that's a lot. Now, when you uh, talk about getting back into it, when you, you know, your, your radio career really started to take off in the early nineties, was it right. something that you, you wanted to do for the physical escape of it just to get some exercise because you were reasonably good at it? Was it more of a mental thing? What was the reason you think that it was, you know, you didn't get into running or biking or what was it about tennis that you liked? Well, I did get into running. Uh, I used to run all the time. I didn't bike. The basketball, I didn't play a lot of basketball at that point in my life. And golf, I was living in a city. So, I, you know, I certainly wasn't going to play golf that much. So tennis uh, became sort of a... And it sort of was an outlet for me. Now, remember, I had a car in the city My first when I first got married. I had a car in the city. I lived over on 51st Street. So what I would do... On the west side I, or the east side? A, east side? East side. Okay. So what I do is I get a game, and I would uh, uh, and I would go down to South Street Seaport. I usually play from like 6 to 8 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. on those courts. Yep. And I would play at the South Street Seaport, and I'd come back, shower, and go to work. And I remember I had a good buddy of mine, Steve Spielman, who I went to Rollins College with, 
Uh, he was number two on the tennis team for three years. He gave up tennis. He played with Howie Dorfman and all those guys over there on Great Neck. Right. Yeah, very, a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. And we used to play a lot, and I could never beat him. And I remember the first time at the South Street Seaport, I won a set against him. Wow. I hit a course. I hit an inside-out, two-handed backhand down the, uh, from the ad court to the uh, to the other ad court, right. and I won a set. First time I had ever won a set from Steve Spielman. So and you, and you, liter- and you to- literally remember that that set point. I remember. I remember set point. Yeah. I remember set point. I really do. I used to play with John Sterling an awful lot. You yep. know, John Sterling played a lot. Sure. You know, the voice of the Yankees. And how was he? he? Is he pretty tennis. good? I, you know, this is, you know, I was a lot younger than he was at the time, but he was a lefty serve. Yep. Yeah, he used to wear knee braces on his knees. He played a lot. I used to play with him. I used to, and I used to see you down there all the time, too. We used to play, not play, right. but you used to be at that South Street Seaport, too. You used to, whatever you did, you went down there yeah. to play. This is in, again, this would be 93, 94, I was, 95. I was, I was on the tour at that point. You know, it, 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 you telling that story about going to South Street Seaport is, is bringing back for me so many memories of where I used to play. Because I lived in the city for much of the time I was playing on the professional tour. So I used to go to all the you know, South Street Seaport and Manhattan Plaza. There's those two courts in, uh, in the middle of Grand Central Station that Which pe- I, a lot of people I, don't know about. Um, yep. And then you remember the uh, there's actually some of the there's not that many courts left in the city in Manhattan at least there was used to uh, there's still the courts in the winter time at Sutton East right under the 59th Street Bridge you ever play on those courts I, red yeah, clay yeah those there yeah, I used to play there uh, I used to play those are red clay I used to go up there to play um, but I for whatever the reason I don't know how I got attached to it but the South because I don't live I didn't live close to it I don't remember where it began. But I used to go to that South Street Seaport. You know, they had those well, they had 10, a lot of, 10, 12 courts. Yeah, they had a lot of courts. They had a lot of courts. And I used to play there all the time. But you're right. There were um, – I do know there – I never have played there, but I do know there were uh, courts on top of the um, – uh, inside the Grand Central. And I'll tell you something else. There was a year where I did uh, – 98, where I did the um, – uh, I did a CBS. I did a show with John Riggins. Right. During the football season, because they got the Jets. CBS got the Jets. And I did Sunday night wrap-up on CBS. Did you know that one time I did a two-part series? It was the AT, It was the Virginia Slims final was in the Garden. Right. And did you know that I did a two-part series with Venus Williams? I did not know that, really. And did you know why, that, in that this was 98? Okay. This would have been 98, so she's just starting on her career. Mm-hmm. And did you know that when we did a two-part series, we played seven games, and they taped the seven games and played it on TV? Did you know that? I did not know that. When, how do I get a copy of this? That's interesting. Did <laughs> you also know that when Bud Collins mm-hmm. went to Barcelona in 92, okay. that he used to call the John Corp, that exhibition he did in Mawa, New Jersey? Yeah, Rome, Paris, Wimbledon, Mawa. That was a T-shirt that used to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he used to do the play-by-play on that. Wow. And the summer of 92, he could not do it because he was covering the Barcelona Olympics. And did you know that in the summer of 92, I was the voice of the Mawa Tennis Classic and Monica Seles played that whole week. Did you know that? Oh my good! I need to get. And a, I, I need to hear final. that. You calling tennis? I would love and that. And I not only that, I did the final 
on ABC on Sunday afternoon, and you can ask her. She might remember. Okay. Who is my analyst? Mary Carillo. Mary Jo Fernandez. Oh, Mary, Mary Jo Fernandez. Fernandez. Wow. Correct. My did long, you know that? I did not know that. My longtime colleague at uh, ESPN, Mary Jo. Of course that she- would have been the summer of 92 because he went, uh, uh, Bud Collins went away, and so did Tom McDonald. They went to the, uh, so they went to the Olympics, McDonald, so they needed someone to fill in. He did the Olympics. In. Tom McDonald at Channel 5 did the Olympics. So in the Winter Olympics of 92, I did Channel 5 sports for three weeks. Did you know that? At 11 no, o'clock at night. No, I didn't at know that. At 10 o'clock at night. I remember, you know I remember back in the days when uh, U.S. Open, we, uh, we used to do it at CBS, and that's what, that was my first job in broadcasting, doing the late-night show, doing the studio with Pat O'Brien, Michelle Tafoya, Bonnie Bernstein was there, I remember, at one point. And you used to do some uh, pieces for that show, the late-night show. I did. It was tremendous. I did two years in a, yeah. two year, two years in a row. I did pieces for, uh, thanks to Sandy Montag, close to McManus. Yep. I did pieces for the 1130 update, and I did pieces coming down uh, to Manhattan, coming to the U Open to do that show. Did you also know when I was at WMCA, this is long before FAN, did you know that on many occasions I would do reports from the U.S. Open, and I sat out there at those back-to-back finals in 87 and 88 mm. when, when Lendl beat V. Lander in four sets. And then the following year, V. Lander beat Lendl in five to finally win a U.S. Open. That wow. I covered that two years in a row. Did you know that? I didn't, but that's when uh, that's when V. Lander brought out the slice backhand. Remember that? He used to, he'd been practicing it sort of quietly. And he used to, in, in addition, he had one of the best two-handed backhands of all time. But he used a slice backhand in that match to change things up and was a big factor in him beating Lendl in that final. I think they played in back-to-back finals. Didn't Lendl beat him the first yeah, year? Yeah, Lendl beat him the first year. V-Lander beat him the second year. I used to go play, by the, you'll like this, at Sutton East. The years that I, you know, as you know, my best Grand Slam in singles a couple times with the Australian Open. One year I made the semifinals there. Yes, I, as I, used, I mentioned. Yeah, I used to go practice at Sutton East in the mornings at like 6 a.m., like you, you talked about at South Street Seabird, before anybody got there, and with, a, with an old buddy of mine named Matt Mitchell, who played on the tour, actually played at Stanford. The same, I remember the name. Yep, stayed the same years that my brother John went to Stanford, so he was a little bit older, and then he started a teaching career, still going, uh, in the New York City area for years and years, a great guy. So he used to come out and play drill me in the mornings from like 6 to 8. I would go out freezing cold in the middle. That was my preparation, believe it or not, for the Australian Open. But he used to kill me. I used to train like an animal for those two hours. He would just feed me balls, ball after ball. So I'd get all my really intense work done from six to eight. I'd go home. I'd eat. I'd take a nap. I'd come back, play another couple hours more, like match play from one to three. Because that was the only time I could get courts, you know, before people that were actually really and paying for the courts. And you got the Australian Open in 92, the semifinals? Uh, 91 was the year I made 91. the semifinals, yeah. And uh, you remember I had uh, one of the lines of the year from uh, World Tennis Magazine, which is no, don't, no longer exists. But when I came into the uh, press conference after I had had my big five-set win over Cristiano Carati, the Italian, hey. it was a good draw. Yeah. It was a good draw, Chris. Uh, I beat him in the quarters in five, and I came in to the – to the press conference, it was packed, and uh, the first question I was asked was, are you surprised? I said, surprised? I said, what are you surprised about? It's exactly what you expected in the semifinals. Lendl, Becker, Edberg, and McEnroe. Wow, how about which, that? Who which was did, true. That was when you played, you played Becker in that semifinal, did played, you not? I played Becker in the semis. I won the first set. I was uh, 
up in the second set. It was on serve. I'll never forget this moment. Just like you never forgot that backhand you hit to win that That's set. That's right, to win a set from Steve Stillman. Exactly. So I'm at break point. I believe it was 2-3 in the second set, Chris. I'm a, and, and, you know, I had had a good record against Becker. I mean, he beat me more than I beat him. But he was one of the top guys that I could beat because I had a good return. Well, you almost beat him that one year at the U.S. That's Open. Right. And you, had, you had him in big trouble. I, I was yeah. at that match. You had him in huge trouble that day. But go ahead. But here was the problem. At 2-3, he's serving. I, I said to myself, holy mackerel, Patrick. If you, if you win this point, you could be in the finals of the Australian Open. And guess what happened from that point on? You fell apart. Fell apart. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. About, I don't know if I fell apart, but he elevated his game, and he, you know, he won that set six four. Uh, this third set, he won a little bit easier, and it was still close in the fourth. It was six four, and then he actually went on to, and and beat Lendl in the final, because uh, Lendl beat Edberg in the other semifinal, and then Becker won it. And then a few years later, I played Becker again in '95 in the first round night match. Uh, I had just come off winning uh, a title in Sydney, one of the warm-up tournaments, and I beat him in straight sets in the first round of the Australian wow, Open. Wow, and year. then he won another final. He beat Chang in the final. He won another one. I think 96, the next year he 96 won. 96 yeah. or 7. Yeah, he won another one because um, he won the two Australian. I remember that match you played against him uh, at, the, uh, US uh, Open. at the U.S. Open. It's funny about you because, you know, it, it, it's, it's weird. We, you know, you were a victim – of Con- I've only asked you this a couple of times in the areas. I know it's a sore point on you, but you had Connors dead to rights uh, the year he made that great run. When was that? Ninety. Uh, made was, the great run at the U.S. Open. That was you also ninety one. Well, that was ninety one. Also, you had him dead yeah. to rights in the first round. You had him dead to rights in that first round. You're allowed to ask me that on my show, but not on your show, Chris. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was interviewing uh, someone else for my podcast the other day. His name's Alan Bergman. He and his wife wrote uh, some of the great songs of all time, The Way We Were, Windmills of Your Mind. He's 94, Chris, and wow. he's been playing tennis his whole life. His story about how he got into tennis is, is remarkable. I'm going to play it on one of my podcasts. 11-year-old kid in Brooklyn, a Jewish kid growing up in Brooklyn, took the train, the subway, et cetera, to get to Forest Hills to get a job as a ball kid because he wanted to get a racket. They said to him, what's your name? He said, Alan Bergman. They said, get out of here. He said, you mean you're not going to give me a trial because I'm Jewish? Guy said, get out of here. He said, I'm not getting out of here. I, I'm, I'm not. He said, come back tomorrow. I'm not coming back tomorrow. It took me all day to get here, and you give me a tryout now, or I'm calling the Brooklyn uh, Bugle, the newspaper. They said, okay, you got the tryout. That's how he got his first racket. And he's been playing, wow. playing tennis for like 70 years. So he, he, I, I became friendly with him because he wrote a lot of the great songs with Michelle Legrand, who uh, my wife ended up being in his musical and doing records with him. So I became friendly with him like 25 years ago. He was in his 70s, and he played every day. So anyway, he told me that story, and he told me about going to Forest Hills as a kid, but he also said to me, and this is why I'm remembering that, as you just said, he said he was there at Flushing Meadows that night when I played Jimmy Connors, and he said, we were rooting for you. I said, Alan, you know how many people I've heard over the years that have said we were, we, that they were rooting for me that night? Nobody in that place was rooting for me. I think even my girlfriend at the time started rooting for Connors. I really, I never loved Connors, and so you know that was over two o'clock in the morning. I know we never probably watched that to to its conclusion, but I guarantee I rooted for you. <laughs> now I did not root for you with Beckers. I used to love Becker. Okay. When you played him at the Open that year, I was right behind the court, uh, behind uh, you know one of the baselines, 
when you had that great match against Becker and you had him in huge trouble, uh, you know, you're up a set, a break in the third, whatever it may have been, and you had your opportunity. You know, you just made me think of something. You know, I went to New Blunfell's San Antonio one year. Did I, did I, uh, oh, to the, the uh, New Blunfell's Texas. The John Newcomb. Did I Tim. say that? Yeah, no, you didn't ever tell me that. A, I, I took a friend. Um, I think my wife got it for her birthday. I took a friend and I flew down to Texas and I played with Newcomb for five days. Newcomb, uh, Stolly was there. Right, Newcomb, Roach. Well, Tony Roach. Roach. No, Roach wasn't there. It was Stolly, Russ Case. Okay. Newcomb. Emerson uh, and I I'll, played I'll you, for four I'll, days. I I'll, loved it. I'll loved tell you. It. I'll tell you who else was there for sure. A great old uh, doubles player, Aussie Owen Davidson. Was he oh, there? Owen lefty? Davidson certainly was there, and yep. uh, we talked a lot yep. about Billie Jean King because yeah, they he played, played with Billie together. Jean King. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was totally into that. So that was those days too. Yeah, I can tell you some great stories, and I even you know you and your brother, and you know I remember one time um, I played a charity match with your brother. Mm-hmm. I donated much to charity. We played somewhere, um, you know, fans, he killed me. You know, he, he, he played country club tennis. But I remember when I mentioned the fact that he had Lendl in dead to rights mm. at the French Open. Yeah, oh, man. He got all ticked off. Oh, I started to kick my ass for a <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want to bring that up to him. You do not. Yeah, want that to one bothers that. him. Yeah, that I one would, bothers him. I think I, you know what that night, Chris, you'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish things up because you've been giving me, you've been giving me so much time. Thank you. That that night, I was playing in the junior doubles final. That at the same time that against Becker, by the way, in the juniors. Okay. Oh, really? While at, my in Paris. Okay. While my brother's final was going on, and after my brother went up two sets to love. The the tournament director, a referee, came to the locker room, the junior locker room, and said, we're going to put you guys on center court because this match is going so fast. I'm thinking to myself, wow, my brother's going to win the French Open. I'm going to play on center court, you know, as a, as a kid in the junior doubles final with Luke Jensen with my partner. So my parents had flown over the night before, overnight, just for the final, to watch the final. So they were going to get maybe both finals on the same court. Wow. Unbelievable. So the third set ends. Lendl wins it. You're right. John was up a break. Gets into it with the photographer. They say, up oh, still, hold on. We're going we're gonna to put you out there uh, if McEnroe wins the four set. Loses the four set, 7-5. Had a 4-2 lead. They put us out on the court number one, okay, to play our doubles final. You know, there's 10 people in the crowd. I'm listening to the score over the – I can hear it from the center court. My brother loses what it was at 7-5 in the fifth. My parents, Chris, God rest their soul, come walking into court one to watch the junior boys' doubles final. Wow, that's tough. And I said, wow, to, that's and, a great job. And, and I said to my brother that night, you did know, you did, did you win that or not? Yeah, we won the we won it. So I would say the McEnroe family got the one the win. Well, they got a split. They yeah, got a split. yeah, we would have taken the other way, all of us, including myself. But I said to John that night, and this is a this is a insight I think into some some of the great athletes Chris of all time is I said to, I said John don't worry about it man you're going to get another shot never did he, lo- he looked at me and he said that was my shot that was my shot did he really say it that I, way I, well I, I, he had never won he never well, another, he won he never won another major no no, he, no, no no he won he won the major he actually dominated that year it was 84 so he dominated. Oh, he won a lot of them. But he never. Right, okay. What it, what he meant was he's never going to have French a better Open. chance to win the French. Exactly. And with right. that, he did make the semis. And next year, lost to Vlander. But it was like he had this, you know. And and that's always what uh, is mesmerized me about, especially Federer and Nadal and these guys, is that they 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 kind of let the losses 
brush off their back, you know, brush off their chest. And my brother was like, that was my shot because he knew that clay wasn't his best service. He knew he had Lendl on the ropes. And uh, sure enough, he never got back to the French Open final. And Lendl had never, and Lendl had never won, hadn't won a major yet. That's right. That was and his first he one. Had, yeah, it was his first one. And he had a major choke person. He had a major reputation as being a choke artist in a big spot. And that match got Lendl over the hump. That was a huge win for Conversely, yes. that was a huge win for Lendl in that situation. Lendl ended, huge. Up, ended up winning eight. I believe that was his eighth final. He'd lost seven in a row, including uh, a couple to Connors at the U.S. Open. So, Chris. And Connors, you know, yeah. Connors gave him a hard time. Exactly. He caught him a choker. Exactly. And everything else. Yeah, that, I mean, that was also, that match was a Sunday morning, and that match was uh, game six of the NBA final was that night, was that day mm. at 3.30. And Game Six was Lakers Celtics in in L.A. with Un- Bird and Magic. Unbelievable! That was a big sports day. That was a huge sports day. You had John Clay, yep. and then you had Bird and Magic. That was a huge sports day. Well, let's but, uh, let, let's hope uh, let's hope Christopher that we can get those huge sports days back sooner than later. Because as we're talking, it's during this crazy pandemic. So let's hope we all get through this together. I appreciate so much you coming on. I've been looking forward to Annie, this. Uh, Johnny and Patrick, yeah. and you know how much I love you. You've been yeah. such a big spot for me forever. Any time for you. And remember, folks, T-Mac, many a time, went out and gave me a tennis lesson. That is true. <laughs> I remember one time we drove in. Uh, I went to Astoria, Queens, and we had a court. Yep. I met him there. Uh, it was when Imus left. So it was 2007. Mm-hmm. And P-Mac gave me a tennis lesson. He said uh, he was a Davis Cup captain. And he said, this is the way I would do it if I had Blake in the other court. And I lasted about six minutes when you were hitting balls all over the place because you worked me so hard. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. And I remember doing a couple of shows with you, which was a huge highlight. And doing this with you is a highlight. And uh, I'll tell people out there that the way you play tennis, okay, the footwork, the speed, the energy – is why you've become one of the all-time great radio personalities. And maybe if you had started a little earlier, you could have had a few better skills, Chris. But the intensity yes, the intensity, and the energy is why you are you. I appreciate it, PMAC. Keep up the good work. Get healthy. Get healthy. Thanks very much, You Pat. got it, my friend. Have a good one. That's Christopher okay. Russo, everybody. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Thank you.